Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Drivers Meeting Podcast, hosted by RJ Starcevic, a.k.a. NASCAR Report, and driver and team owner of the number 44 Martins Motorsports Chevrolet in the NASCAR Xfinity Series, Tommy Joe Martin. And welcome back to the Drivers Meeting Podcast, episode number six. We are back. Myself, Tommy Joe Martins, and our very special guest today. We'll get to that in a moment. Some news this week uh, about drivers and where they're going. Uh, I know Jesse Little is going to BJ McLeod Motorsports. Uh, Brett Moffitt's going to Nice, but we'll get to that later on in the show. But today we have our very special guest, Jamie Little, the new voice of the Arc Menard series on Fox. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Yes, it has been a crazy off season for news, right? It's like every time you guys probably do your podcast, there's been some breaking news to report. Oh yeah, yeah. There's uh, there's a lot of breaking news I know, and and one of them was that you'll be the the play by play for the Arkham Menard series. You know, making history. And you had just mentioned 18 years uh, down as a pit reporter for Fox. You'll still get to do that, but a new chapter. Uh, how did this all come along, and what was your reaction to it? Yeah, well, I've always been a believer in if you want something, you got to go for it and you got to let the people around you um, that make the decisions know your intentions. Um, it's always worked for me. And what's the worst they can say, right, is no. That's what I tell everybody. So um, it was funny, like two months ago, I, I got a call from uh, Lee Diffie from uh, IndyCar on, you know, and NBC. He called me out of the blue and he's like, hey, all these women are being promoted to play-by-play making history. I think you're the one to do it for NASCAR. And I was like, man, that's awesome of you to say that, you know, I, I did it for a couple practice sessions for the Xfinity series a couple years ago. And I actually liked it more than I thought, you know, I just love being a pit reporter. I love being in the middle of the action. I love telling the stories. I love having those relationships with everybody involved. So it wasn't anything that I really thought would be interesting to me being so far away. Um, but when I got to the booth, I thought, man, this is really cool. Like, it's a totally different skill set, calling every shot and then having an analyst to kind of bounce things off of. So anyway, he called and said that. And I thought, man, you're right. This is 2020. It's a jacked year. It's a year for change. It's a year for trying new things. And a lot of people are losing their jobs. So why not step up and try something new and, and show that I can do more than just host and, you know, pit report. So I called my boss and uh, literally he was like, well, I really like this idea. I think it's awesome. Let me, let me talk to some people. He literally called me a week later and said, I talked to the ARCA people. I talked to NASCAR. Everybody's on board. We want you to be the voice of the series. I'm like, well, damn. All right, let's do it. So here we are. <laughs> so this literally went from a half-baked idea to it's actually happening in a week's worth of time. Yes, that's exactly right. I got the call, the nudge, and I'm not one to sit on ideas. Like if I think it, I want it, I'm going to go for it. I went home right after that call and uh, went in my office and sent an email to my boss. I'm like, 
yeah, I am ready to do this. I'm just going to plant the seed because you never know what's going on behind the scenes. Like, you know, with you with sponsors or what rides are available, you really don't know. So all you can say is, Hey, I am interested in this and you see what happens. And I did. And it just so happened, obviously they were looking to make a change and, um, and they gave me the opportunity. You know, Jamie, this is kind of like, this is kind of the, the natural progression with what you guys do, where people are first a pit reporter. And that seems to be like the place where you're mostly learning the ropes. And so you've been a pit reporter now for so long, but you've seen other people that have been your teammates in the broadcast, like Vince Welch has gone right. on to be like the, the voice of the truck series now. And Adam Alexander has been the voice of the Xfinity series, was a pit reporter. I mean, that's going to give you some confidence that, I mean, you, it's like you've kind of followed the progression. Now, you stayed down there longer than anybody, it feels like, down in the pits. So I yeah. guess you're really prepared for this. Yeah, exactly. And it, it is very interesting because it's a totally different skill set. It's kind of like being a pit reporter or going into the studio and hosting Race Hub, which I've done many times, and I love that. But it's something totally different. You know, when you're in a studio and it's quiet, you don't have race cars on the track, there's not stuff happening in high energy, it's different, very unique. Or, you know, hosting events or, you know, sponsor summits, things like that, it's all different. And that's how play-by-play -play is going to be. It's going to be totally different. And, and I was just saying earlier that you know, we've already started rehearsals. We did a rehearsal yesterday, literally full-blown 2020 Daytona ARCA race. And Phil Parsons jumped on with me. We had our producers, everybody to just kind of see how it's going to go and to kind of help me kind of, you know, know the ropes and, and um, critique me in a way. So I feel like a rookie all over again. But also this is different because for everybody in the broadcasting world, this was such a weird year and you had races where the broadcast team wasn't actually on location. They were doing it remote. And so I'm sure you guys are playing out all these scenarios of kind of the, what could happen going into the next year. Oh my gosh. It, what a crazy year. I mean, I, I tell people the craziest thing to me was being the only pit reporter covering an entire cup series, right? <laughs> like you would never do that at ESPN. We always had four reporters, Fox, we have three. Sometimes we have a fourth when it's Daytona or Bristol or those races. But to be the only one and Regan had to do it, Matt had to do it. I mean, that that was crazy. And, you know, I mean, it was lonely. You show up at the track like you don't really talk to many people. I go try to talk to my crew chiefs, but you don't see the drivers till they're out on the grid. And um, and then you're hoping that you're doing a service for as many people as possible. But let's face it, you can't get all the storylines in when you're by yourself and you have an entire pit road to cover. So that was a challenge. We did it. We pulled it off. And I can't imagine another sport doing what NASCAR was able to do across three different series this year. Yeah, that's uh, like you said, it was kind of like a ghost town showing up, especially those first few races back from COVID. What what was I know? I think Regan Smith was at Darlington for the first one. Uh, yeah. What was the first race that you ended up covering? Was it the Coke 600? Coke 600. Yes. Yes. So, you know, you're hearing all these things and watching and you just don't know what to expect. My whole family got in the car and we drove down to Charlotte. I live in Indy. So we drove down there and I, I couldn't wait to get back to the track. But it was so weird. I, I remember thinking during the race, like, this isn't as much fun as I'm used to. You know, you're wearing your mask the whole time. Even though I'm not on camera during my reports, you still have to wear your mask. It was just, and it was hot. And you're there for, you know, a five-hour race. There were just a lot of things that were just odd. I, as you guys know, I mean, this is a family. We all travel together. You socialize. You catch up with everybody. That's how I get my stories. That's how I share what, what's going on with your race teams. And it was just hard to do that this year. 
Yeah, so let's let's pretend that it wasn't the weirdest year of all time for a minute. <laughs> so, I, you know, obviously I've driven for small teams my entire career. And the thing that, you know, I also went to school to be a journalism major. That's what I did. I really wanted to have your job, Jamie. Is what, that was I like didn't know grand, that. Well, I wanted to have grand, your job, so. <laughs> <laughs> this is my grand idea. And then I wound up actually getting to live kind of a lifelong dream, which is getting to do this now. But uh, I know that what you guys are really looking for is stories, right? I'm in a car that I know is probably not going to win the race. So really the appealing thing for you guys, when I think I've got something interesting, I'm going to go to you guys and kind of give you something. But what is the normal preparation for you on a race day? Like where you're going into run, it, it's an Xfinity race. It's an ARCA race. It's a whatever. Obviously you're looking at the contenders and you're yep. probably looking for some sort of stories there, but then what? It, what's the rest of it? What does it look like? Absolutely. If I have a good story, like if I talk to you, Tommy, like on, you know, whether we're on pit road or I talk to you in the garage and you tell me something cool, you can bet I'm going to sell that story and most likely get it on. And that's what I really try to tell, you know, teams that maybe aren't those top five, top 10 contenders. Let us know what's going on with you. Find me, find Adam Alexander and Adam, there's nobody better than him. That's a champion of the teams that are smaller and telling your story. I mean, I've heard him tell your story so many times. That's how I know about you. Um, And that's so important to have a voice because if we don't know, just like my boss didn't know I wanted to do play by play, you got to speak up, you know, and and that's really what it comes down to. It's easy to talk about the top five, the top 10, because they're up front every week and you have to talk about them. You have to follow what they're doing, but it's guys like you that, I mean, that that's people love to hear those stories. And that's why it is so important to do your research, do it during the week. But for me, it's all about the face to face time and being in that garage, running into you, running into crew chiefs and just finding out what's happening with your team. And then it gives me something to talk about. Right. So like what would be the advice? Obviously, I've learned this kind of the hard way because I've done this kind of two ways, Jamie. I think there was an expectation the first time when I showed up in NASCAR in 2014 where I was like, I'm here. Yeah. And like everybody's going to come talk to me. And it's like, well, that's not, that's not how this is going to work. That's not how it's going to work. So what would be your advice to somebody like me circa 2014 before I kind of learned all this? How do I get your attention when I'm not on one of those big teams? Don't be afraid to come up to me when you see me, you see Adam, you see Regan to say, Hey, I'm so-and-so, you know, this is, this is my deal this year. This is what our team is doing. This is how many people are on our team. This is what it's taking to get to the racetrack. Just tell us what's going on with you, because let's face it, we are inundated with press releases from Cup, from Xfinity, Trucks, now ARCA. Um, So there's a lot that gets lost. It's all about that face-to-face time, for me anyway. And if I talk to you and you come up to me and tell me what's going on, like I respect the heck out of you for that. And you just made my job easier because now I have something to tell when we see your car on camera or if we don't see your car on camera, you're battling for 15th position. I'm like, hey, I got a great story on Tommy Joe. Let's do it. And they come to me. You know, I mean, it's all about stories and that gets you guys airtime. Right. Yeah, as as a fan, you know, I love like you mentioned hearing those the smaller team stories when they talk about them on TV. It's you know, it's kind of like the feel good story. Um, yep. You know, you talk about to where they go, but you know, as like a res- aspiring reporter, which is you know kind of what I want to be, uh, I love talking to you know the smaller teams, the the drivers, the less funded drivers. They have so many great stories, you know, that they tell uh, to how they got you know to where they were and. Of course, you know, hearing about Joe Gibbs racing and Stuart Haas is awesome too, but you know, you hear about them every week, you know, they're at the top, you know, their story, but I do love hearing, you know, each and every, 
you know, smaller team, smaller driver, those stories I feel like are just awesome to hear about or to report about or to listen to, you know, as a fan, like you mentioned. Yeah. It's really cool when you get to talk to somebody like BJ or I mean, anybody that I'll get an interview on for practice or qualifying. And that's what you see in Twitter. Like that's really, it's not expected, but it's really appreciated. And those stories of like, Oh, we've got a car that's six years old. It's been rebuilt twice this year. We've got four people at the shop doing it. I was working on my car. Like that's the stuff Or you know, Tommy going out and getting his own sponsorship. Like, Hey, we got a new sponsor this week. Like I've been knocking at their door for a year. Like that's, that's just the cool stuff that shows people what it really takes. And then it's not easy to be in this sport at this level. Cause it is very expensive and very competitive. So I can, I can give proof in the pudding here for, for when you have something that's really interesting, it's going to get on TV. Yeah. And I had that moment with a guy that you just mentioned there with BJ McLeod, where he wrecked a car. I don't really think he wrecked. I think something broke, but whatever. It wrecked in Bristol. Bristol. Didn't have a backup car. I did that interview. Yep. Right? And you did this interview. And <laughs> I, as soon as it happened, they drove all night back to Mooresville, rebuilt it at the shop. Came back, worked, it was four guys, no sleep, the whole thing. And I found out about this. I had driven my car in practice and we were whatever. And I knew it was going to be a real pain in the butt for them. But I didn't know they went back to Morrisville. I didn't even know until in the morning. And so as soon as I found out, I was like, where are the reporters? I was like, we have to get this to you guys right now because I knew that would be one of those things that would probably lead off. Absolutely. uh, You love to follow up. Yeah. And you love to follow up with those stories. Like, Hey, last time we heard from him, he wrecked his car. Like it was the only one they had here. So what did they do? And Adam's really good at that, but it's hard because you're covering the whole field and not, not to mention we're usually covering cup at the same time. So you're back and forth. So if somebody like you runs up and like, Hey, do you hear what, you know, what they went through to get here? That is golden. And we so appreciate that stuff. Just those updates that we might not be able to get, or we have to get like once the green flag drops and then we're able to tell that story once we get to the pit. So Jamie, you have a position that is like, obviously a very visible position in the sport, right? And, and you have a position that I'm sure there are a lot of people that want your position. I wanted it when I was in college <laughs> that, that want to be a part of a sports broadcast. Just say a sports broadcast, forget NASCAR specifically. Right. It's a desirable thing. I think there's probably a lot of people that think of the glamorous side of this. Yeah. What, what's the part of your job that is tough that people don't really realize? Gosh, you know, I try to think about that a lot. Like this is something I need to remember to say when I get asked about how, you know, the difficult side of my job. I would just you say, a great job, by the way, I'm just, I'm not asking you to like say bad things about the job. I'm saying, what are some things that people maybe aren't yeah. seeing coming? There's really not a lot of downside to my job, but you have to be willing to work. I mean, you, uh, to be a race car driver, you have to be willing to work. You've got to outwork the next guy. That's what I tell people. You have to be willing to outwork the next person, treat everybody so kindly because it's a small world and that lends itself to longevity. You'll be in the sport a long time if you treat people well, because people don't leave the sport. They just end up in another series or in another position. And um, that's really important, but you have to be willing to so work. I say that Covering NASCAR, it's not a job, it's a it's a lifestyle because it's every day. As you guys talk about the news, I mean, there's news every day. You have to know what's happening. When you get to the racetrack, you've got to be prepared on two or three series and what those storylines are. And I, I would say that that, that is difficult at times. Um, 
And I would say just there's a lot of nuances, you know, when there's an injury, the right approach, the right tone, um, you know, victory lane, there's just, there's so many different emotions and just kind of learning, you know, the ropes and, and how to handle all of those situations, because God knows I've done it all. <laughs> well, well, you're in a spot here, and this is, and allow me to now actually talk a little bit of crap for one of your former employers here, where, where the thing became the joke about ESPN was that if it wasn't somebody specifically on ESPN Motorsports, so like you or Beswick or whoever it was, if it wasn't somebody direct, Ricky Craven, yeah. if anybody else was doing NASCAR highlights, that was, that was a tough watch because they didn't really know what they were talking about. And NASCAR is such a niche thing and the viewers are so diehard that when you can't really describe a restart, that's that nobody is going to have any respect for it. And all of a sudden it's kind of like a disassociated thing for anybody that's watching that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That, that is tough. And then, you know, all of us in the field are like, Oh my God, we worked so right. hard to like get rid of that. But it's, I mean, ESPN, they were an amazing place to work, but it is huge. And as you know, there's sports center, the, the top of the line, and you have all different anchors and a lot of them have no clue about racing. Right. Um, it's all stick and ball sports. So we are kind of on an Island by ourselves. And I think that's one great thing about Fox is they've covered the sport for so long for 20 years now, and they respect it. And they give us the freedom to do what we wish you know, if you say this is a great story, well, let's go after it. Let's do a feature on it you know let's let's cover it in race hub they really do it the right way and and hopefully you feel that way too absolutely i yeah, think I everybody wanna... loves the fox crew look nobody's made a lot of complaints about that so jamie if they come to you and just said hey we want you to do this other stuff uh like with uh who am i talking about now jeff hammond and uh who was it in the hollywood hotel the other guy because they have with all kinds of stuff. I mean, I'm sure they've come to you and said, you want to cover other sports, right? What would you want to go do? What would be the other thing? Um, yeah, there isn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's literally um, why I've been here for 18, 19 years. Because when our contract with ESPN was up in 2014, they said, all right, um, let's put together a deal. And if you want to do football, we'll do that. And I just have always said, that's just not my deal. I, I grew up as a tomboy, single mom, only child, not into sports. I lived in Lake Tahoe. We didn't have a professional sport, but people rode dirt bikes. And when I was introduced to racing, I was like, this is it. There was just something about it that did it for me. And, and the rest is history. So I've always stuck to that. I found this career because of my passion for racing and wanting to speak out and share stories of the athletes. And, um, you know, that's just been it for me. I always say, I mean, it's very cliche, but people always say, well, when are you going to do Monday night football? You're going to be great at that. I was like, I am doing my Monday night football. I cover the freaking cup series. Like that's my Monday night. It just happens to be on Sunday. Yeah, I wanted to I wanted to date back really quick to we're talking about stories. And I think Tommy Joe could have some insight on this because I think he was a part of it. Back at Kentucky, I it was the final weekend you guys were covering the Xfinity series. I don't were you at Kentucky that weekend? I was. Okay, yeah. So you might you might have given the story or it could have been Adam Alexander, but I remember um because it was a doubleheader. And I believe it was either, I'm pretty sure it was the 93, but it could have been the 90 if someone had wrecked on the first uh, day 
and they needed, you know, they needed some parts, some help or something like that. And I believe there was a bunch of, I don't know if Martin's Motorsports was a part of that. I, I can't remember if they were, but I remember there was a, there was a whole bunch of teams that went and, you know, collaborated and, you know, got this car ready for that race. And you guys had reported on that. I don't know if it was, it was you or Adam Alexander, but I thought I that was that, really cool. That was Adam. Yeah. yeah. Adam just has such a good rapport with everybody in that series that, he really sets the bar for just being involved and not just being a play-by-play guy, but he really tells those stories of you guys who are really doing the nitty gritty and getting to the racetrack every week, you know, just because of the hard work that you're doing in the shop or on the phone, selling sponsorship to get tires, whatever it may be. Yeah. I think Michael Walter also has a great feel for that who pitches in a lot too. Uh, and, And I think what they're talking about or what you're talking about there, Jamie, is kind of a, the boots on the ground mentality, which it's yeah. not, you know, and, and I know you have that too, because we've had these talks, but it's like when you're up and down the road there, uh, there, there's not a lot of secrets in the garage for very long. I think mean, <laughs> you guys just, as soon as you guys walk up, somebody's going to tell you every single thing that happens. Yeah. Right. It depends on what series it is. <laughs> it's a lot easier, like an Xfinity to get some, you know, what's really going on with these teams and what we should expect to see. Cup is hard. I mean, they're, they're tight lipped and you'll get somebody from another team that tells you about this team and, and then you have to wait to verify it. I mean, right. and that, that is a big part going back to your question about my job and what's difficult is um, you just have to be careful of like the information that you get. And most of it, I mean, it's all about your relationship. So most of it is accurate, but when is the right time to tell it? And is it something that is my responsibility to tell? Like ESPN had this, this mentality that if we were told it from a driver or a team, we must report it. And, and that's not necessarily the right thing to do because you don't, you lose respect, you lose uh, trust and trust is everything in our jobs. So I, I think knowing the balance of like when something is legit and you can run with it and tell the story or break the news. Um, that's a really big part of our job. Yeah. That's part of it, right? Relationships. And, you know, when you really need to break that story, you know, it depends kind of, the relationships you have in the garage? Yeah. Like for an example, it was, I don't remember my second or third year covering NASCAR. And I'd gotten word that the 07 team with Clint Boyer was going to be no more. Like they were moving on. The sponsorship was leaving and I went on the air with it. Oh my God. The team was so pissed because their guys didn't even know yet. So it was oh, like the driver knew the crew chief knew, and they were telling me in confidence. But at that point, I mean, I worked for ESPN. I was young. Um, and I'm like, well, they're telling me I'm in the hauler. So technically I should be able to go with it because they know I have an ESPN microphone. So um, that was just one of those things. Like I felt terrible, but it was a big story and it came out a couple weeks later. But let me just say, I'm glad I'm not in the, the news of like the, the world of breaking news because that is stressful. You're not going for Bob's job anytime soon. You're not going yeah. for See, and, <laughs> and Bob does it perfectly. Like Bob just gets information and he tells it like, this is what's happening. But to be the person that's really breaking news before the team actually lets it out, that is stressful because you walk that fine line. Yeah, I always, I, I mean, the first guy I can think of is someone like Adam Stern on Twitter. I, you know, he yes. he breaks it before it's really happening, and I okay. can't I can't imagine how you know stressful because you know all the eyes are on him. You know, all the Twitter notifications yeah. are on his account. Once he tweets that out everyone figures it's, you know, it's news, even though it's, it probably is going to happen before the teams released it. Yeah. That, like you said, that's definitely got to be 
very stressful. I love what Adam Stern does. I think he does a great job. He does a great service for our sport. Um, and obviously he's at a place where everybody trusts him now. So they come to him and say, Hey, we're going to release this. You're the guy that can put it out there to plant it, to get the attention. Cause that's really the game. Even though they send out a press release at a certain time, whether it's Fox or somebody else, they're going to tell a reporter beforehand to break that story, to get the interest. So when it is announced, it's official. So we're, we're kind of talking about like the rules of when to roll with something or when not to. Yeah. So Jamie, let's say that I am really pissed off. I mean, really mad. Somebody just, somebody just wrecked me and I just spiked my helmet on the ground and all that. I love it. I'm is, right there. Is there a no-go zone for you? Or is it like, we're like, ah, maybe we're just going to give them a minute. We're going to come back to this. Or is it like, no, actually, the more mad you are, the better this is. As you guys have seen, I tend to find myself in the middle of the fights. That's not by accident. That's just, I get an adrenaline rush. I love the passion. I love being in the middle. I'm not scared of anything. There's no off limits. And I watch the driver and, and I wait, like, if you're not ready to talk, you're not going to come up to me, but when you're ready to talk. And usually when those guys are fired up or you're wrecked or something, you're ready to talk and I'm there, you know, I mean, it, it's that that is a really exciting part of the job it really is you have to be at the right place at the right time like with Jeff Gordon and, and Brad Kozlowski I knew exactly what was going to happen and right I was there, there long before anybody was that's why I was right in the middle of it and if you see some of the camera angles I may have been egging it on a little bit <laughs> I may have pointed out to Jeff the producer? where Brad was Right. I mean, you're on with the producer before any of this, right? I mean, you're being like, hey, by the way, you need to get somebody down there to the two. Yeah. Yeah. And they know I'm like, OK, hey, so this is going on. There's five laps to go. I'm going to go ahead and go down to where Pitt in where they're bringing the cars and they're going to stop. Right. So I'll be there. Then she tells my my cameraman, like, OK, meet Jamie down there. And, and that's how it rolls. So I have a pit producer. So it's not the main producer, but it's somebody that's just in charge of us pit reporters. So we're literally like, Hey, Tommy Joe Martins, he's moved from 18th. He's up to 13th right now. I got a great story. So come to me when you guys can. So then she relays that to the front bench so that they can get back, get your car on camera. And then I sell the story. And then Adam is so great at just carrying it and putting two cents on that. Right. Yeah. We talked about, you talked about before the, um, you know, you being the only reporter there and you know how tough that was usually post race, you'll have, like you said, three or four reporters who will go around and interview drivers post race. And of course now, you know, in today's age, we have the reporter that goes up to the finish line and interviews the winner. And I know a lot of reporters this year, you would see them up interviewing the winner at the start finish line, you know, maybe cut to commercial or something or cut to something. And a minute later they've ran down or driven down to the pit lane (laughs) And they're out there uh, interviewing another driver. So, I mean, is that something that you had to do and you had to get your legs on for that? Yeah. Um, Kentucky, <laughs> you mentioned it. I was the only pit reporter on the ground there. I had driven down from Indy and I uh, did the Xfinity race. And um, there was all kinds of carnage in that race, if I remember right. I think Brandon Jones wrecked on turn one, lap one. Like oh, yeah. it, it was crazy, right? And it was like an extended race. They didn't and, clean the track worth it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and then yeah. Cup the next day. Um, I mean, you just, I remember interviewing Cole Custer won that race. And so I do that interview and then we just haul ass across the grass to go get, you know, two through five and then any other stories that were developing. So you're trying to be, oh, that was the the race as well where um, Harrison and uh, Noah got into yeah, it. Yeah, they got to fight. They gotta <laughs> yes. fight. So yeah. that's an example of like where my fitness comes in. It does. 
Um, I interview Austin Sendrick for getting the win. And then I hauled ass because I knew there was a fight going on. So I get there just in time to literally talk to one and walk over to the other one. And they were just, they were still fired up. I mean, I'd rather get them sooner when they're really like the first <laughs> to come out of their mouth. Probably probably after the fight, honestly, it's probably it's more dramatic that way, but you've already kind of seen or kind of seen how they feel about each other at that point. Yeah, exactly. Well, we had cameras, obviously, that caught what was happening leading up to that. But, you know, that's the downside of not having multiple reporters in those situations. You get somebody that's there with their camera, so they're seeing everything and recording on it, even if, like, I'm doing victory lane with somebody, and then they can roll it back. And so, yeah, it's definitely beneficial to have multiple reporters, especially at places where, unfortunately, like, you know, Talladega or Daytona, where somebody's in the medical center and you need to be on victory, you know, out for victory lane and then the post-race stories. So it, it's nice to have multiple. Have you ever had anybody get mad at you? Yeah, I had Kevin Harvick get mad at me one time. Um, gosh. Happy birthday, Kevin Harvick. Kevin, yeah, Kevin and I, I mean, we were personal friends and um, this was like my second or third year in he and Carl Edwards got into it. Do you remember that incident at Charlotte where Carl had him by the neck on the hood of the car? Like um, it was oh, a big, yeah. so, so the next week, of course, with the SPN, we have to follow up that story. So sure. we're, we're on the, you know, it's like pre-race and I'm walking with Kevin and I try to bring that up and Kevin's pissed. And then he's like, says something just rude, you know, just to make me try to look bad. And then I texted him afterwards. I'm like, if you have a problem with me, you talk to me off camera. You don't do it on national TV. You know, that's my job. And I have to ask you about it. And it's up to you how you want to, you know, carry yourself and, and explain it. So that was one time, but it was a learning experience for me. Um, there was another time with Kurt Busch. Wait, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. What was the learning experience? The learning you, experience you was weird you got to go with your gut and you can't just put somebody on the spot and just ask them about something right before they get in the car. That was about last week in a fight with somebody else. And that's something that I really have loved about Fox that they let us go with our gut instinct that never steers me wrong. But when there's somebody in my ear saying I have to do something, sometimes it goes sideways. So I, I learned from that, that I don't care if I get in trouble afterwards for not asking that question. I go with my gut. All right. What was the other one? I'm sorry. I cut you off. Oh yeah. So Kurt Busch, New Hampshire. Oh, I don't remember how many years ago it was, but his car failed um, pre pre-race inspection. So he's out on the grid and his car's not there. And I'm like, Oh, great. Well, Showtime was doing a show with him um, like behind the scenes of NASCAR. So their cameras were on it as well. So I get there and I know what's happening with the car, but he doesn't because he took his golf cart out there and he's waiting. And I was like, Hey, I got to interview you about this. Your car's coming out in the back. It failed pre uh, pre inspection. So I'm walking with him and he's just like, F this, F that, don't ask me an effing question. And I'm like, whatever, whatever, whatever. So we get there in the back and I have to ask him a question. He answers it. Well, Showtime was rolling on the whole thing. So they put it on YouTube. So if you <laughs> her Bush, you'll see him like dropping bombs as I'm walking with him. I'm just like, whatever. I mean, it's my job. So that thankfully hasn't happened much in 18 years. <laughs> well, Jamie, you know, I'm pretty sure that year he MF'd a lot of people. Uh, I don't think you were the only one uh, that yes. got that. Doc Punch made that role too. Yes, that was, I think, <laughs> the same year. But Kurt has come a long way. He's such a different person now. And so yeah. I'm, I'm thankful for that. 
Yeah. What What do you think um, over, you know, this 18 year span, you've had your, your guilty moments with the Clint Boyer story, people, uh, a few people coming at you. What do you think has been the best uh, story that, or something, best thing you've been able to do from the garage at a race? Gosh, I mean, it's all the best I, memory, at least best memory. Um, I mean, the one, and it's not NASCAR related, but it was my first Indy 500. I mean, there was nothing that compared to that. That was 2004. No woman had ever been a pit reporter for the Indy 500. And at that point, it was like 85 year history, 90 year history or something. Um, that was that was a big deal for me. Um, and I mean, there's been so many moments. It's first time winners. It's, you know, times that the one day that was the hardest in my career was the day Dan Weldon was killed. He and I were really close friends and it was at my home racetrack in Las Vegas. And I was the one having to report on it from the hospital and never had a day that hard in my life. Um, but there's been a lot of great times too. Anytime you can be in victory lane with the driver is something that you cherish and love. I mean, it's a celebration for us too, for all the hard work. Yeah. So this isn't the first time, uh, or this year, this won't be the first time you're making history in motorsports. Yeah. Yeah. You could say I've made history in the past too. And I, I don't know, I just say it's being at the right, right place at the right time. It's just, yeah. it's always been my thing, you know, racing. And, and it just happens to be something that not a lot of women had had covered to that point. Some had, but not many compared to how many men and um, yeah, being play by play for the Arca series. No woman's ever done play by play on a national television broadcast. So yeah, a little extra incentive, a little extra nerves for Daytona, but I'm so excited. I mean, I just love challenges. Like I'm sure you do both of you for when you're given a new opportunity, it's like you're excited and nervous all at the same time, but it, it always works out. Well, we know Jamie that you're one of the real ones. Uh, you have been one of the, one of the OGs uh, for <laughs> oh, a long time <laughs> when it comes to just truly like caring about motorsports. Not, this is not you like doing a job and you got put on the motorsports beat. Right like the thing that you want to be doing and covering and it comes through with uh, with what you do. So thank you for what you do. And thanks for coming on our little podcast. Well, thank you guys. And yeah, you're right. I mean, I don't, people get chewed up and spit out in motorsports that they try to fake it or use it as a step to get to the next level. It just, yeah. we're, it's too core and you can't, you can't fake your way. You've got to be passionate and love what you do. So I know you both do. And uh, thank you for having me. And I look forward to seeing you in Daytona. Oh, going to be lucky to have you, Jamie. Oh, yes. thank you. I'll be on the Xfinity series too. So we'll be chatting. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Thanks you guys. All right. And Jamie Little has departed. We are back here on the driver's meeting podcast, a great, great uh, segment that we had there. And we'll just wrap up with some of the recent news that's happened this week. Of course, um, we'll start with today, probably the biggest news of the day. Auto club is not happening this year, uh, you know, due to COVID and all that, uh, lots of stuff still going on and it's being replaced with the Daytona road course, which moves to the second week of the season swaps with homestead. So everyone will be staying in Daytona for two weeks then Homestead the third week, and that, that does apply to you. So what was your reaction to that? Uh, look, I'm, I'm pro road course, <laughs> but I'm also very pro Auto Club Speedway because I think it is an awesome racetrack and it puts on a great show. So I'm glad that that repave is not happening. 
until maybe we get another crack at it in 2022 because I think it is an awesome racetrack and 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 I I hate the reconfiguring of it. Uh, it's so cool, uh, but but I also understand that it's probably due for a repave. Like I understand all the reasoning here. Like I, I get it, uh, but I'm glad we're gonna get another crack at it. And props to NASCAR for not doing what I thought was going to be the really annoying thing here, which is what happened to us this year, which was the Daytona road course became a substitute for Watkins Glen on the schedule. And I was like, oh, well, this makes a lot of sense. Great. We'll go down there for Daytona summer speed weeks and we'll just stay down there and then do the road course the next week. Like that makes a lot of sense. And, I, and we didn't do it that way. <laughs> we basically went to Daytona and then went to Dover, I think, and then went like back to Daytona. Uh, and I was like, well, this seemed unnecessary. <laughs> but it looks like they're doing the more logical thing here, which is we're just going to run the road course right afterwards. And I would say that's actually really good. I think it's really smart. Create speed weeks into like a longer thing. And I think that's really cool. It's cool for the fans. Uh, Florida, obviously, the rules with COVID and, and the way that they're enforcing a lot of this very different than California, which is kind of what's led to how this is. Uh, but I think it's going to be great. I think it's really cool. Flipping that date with Homestead made a lot of sense. You got to remember who owns this. NASCAR merged with International Speedway Corporation. They were sister companies anyway, but now that is just NASCAR. So NASCAR owns Auto Club Speedway, and they own homestead miami speedway and they own daytona so it was pretty easy for them to start switching stuff around they didn't have to coordinate with anybody else and i think this uh it just works out better for everybody yeah we'll see what they do with uh practice and qualifying too and how they're letting people into the race i don't think any of it would change since it's just replacing a race and you know we did go there last year so it's not necessarily a new track but like you said it's almost like an extended speed weeks i mean you guys are going to be down there just in Florida in general for a while. And then you guys have to go all the way out West um, or at least right now, um, right after Homestead. And then I, I don't think- need to haul the driver's jobs going from Miami to Vegas. That That's going to be, or Miami to Carolina to Vegas is going to be a bit of a trip, but uh, lost in the shuffle here was, and, and look, I want everybody to know that we take COVID-19 very seriously. And I don't mean to make light of any of this. What I will say is that if this was a normal year and this went three weeks in Daytona for the cruise, Miami, Las Vegas as a five week stretch, I don't know how many crew guys would be left alive uh, to finish the season because that is like biggest party stretch that's ever happened. And I don't know how many of them would still have a liver as we go to Phoenix. Uh, It probably wouldn't be that many left. So COVID actually saving some lives in the NASCAR garage, uh, preventing them from being able to get out and get too crazy. Yeah. And get the partying done early in the season, I guess. Um, You know, if, if there's something to party about, especially with, with the Daytona 500, and all those festivities, but it'll be interesting to see because I know um, I had talked to Cesar Baccarella last week, uh, last Wednesday, and he was mentioning for for your race. Well, the first the first thing he said, Mario Goslin is running the the ninety one car for DGM. That's awesome. 
Uh, he's coming back. They'll have four cars in that event. That'll be really cool. It'll be uh, him, uh, Baccarella said he'll be in the 90. We know Josh Williams is coming back, and he said he expects Alex LeBay to be back in 36. Um, but he also mentioned that it's probably you guys are going to have qualifying on the Daytona Oval. That's one thing that he said. He said, I, I didn't know if it was just a rumor, but he said it was locked in that you guys are having qualifying. Yeah, it's been mentioned to us that qualifying will be a thing. Uh, I think it would ha- it would take some sort of, of COVID something getting which by the way, we're not writing this off, but but the but Daytona is such a big paying race, it's such a big deal for our series, uh, and that so many teams show up, uh, they feel like qualifying would be necessary. So I, you know, we we expect to we're going down there expecting to qualify for the race. Yeah, that's good. That's good for I mean that's good news for a lot of teams i feel like they push for it because you know we assume it would be on tv and that's sponsor time you know for your sponsors you talk about a lot and and for everyone else's sponsors i know the main wave for push for qualifying was when morgan shepherd came out and said we need qualifying to get back at the track um for his team so i mean that's that's a good thing for you guys do you do you view that as a good thing to have qualifying for sponsors and all that absolutely not I think it's terrible. I think it's a terrible idea. <laughs> You're talking to a guy that would have already been locked in the race. So of course I'm going to say that. Right. But uh, yeah. look, what, what you have going on here in the Xfinity series and get ready. Cause a lot of people are going to be mad at me for saying this, but this is hundred percent of cash grab is all that's happening here. Uh, you have multi-car teams that have multiple speedway cars and they look at Daytona because it's the biggest paying race of the year. And they just go, well, let's just bring more cars down there and try to qualify in and get to go get the money essentially uh that, that's that's how this is going so dgm and mario goslin running that race uh i love mario i'm sure that he is very happy to be running the race and he's excited about that but the thing that he's the most excited about is the paycheck from daytona international speedway because it's the biggest one of the year and it pays basically double what we get paid at the other races so that's why you have all of these cars that are showing up for daytona and while we think we might wind up having a 42, 43 car field and why NASCAR feels like qualifying will have to be a thing to set uh, that race. You're just going to have too many cars showing up down there. Yeah. One of those expanded teams is our motorsports and their driver, Brett Moffitt signed a deal this week with Deese motorsports. Uh, he's going to drive for full-time camping world truck series points. He's back. You know, we thought, we thought he was almost for a second. If he didn't find anything going for Xfinity points, but you know, maybe, maybe he was listening to our podcast. Maybe he heard us talking about the top 12 drivers and he said, you know what? I'm going to go and, and fight for the truck series championship in the yeah, 45. Yeah, look, if I know Brett, Brett was not intimidated by any of this. Uh, <laughs> look, I, and the thing is, what, what our motorsports did all year was so impressive to me. It really was. And, and Brett absolutely is one of those guys that I would have penciled in that next little group that it wouldn't have shocked me if he won a race on some sort of last-minute restart or something like that. They were fast enough. And he's a good enough driver that it that, that sort of thing could have worked out. But obviously, seat time and, and more racing is kind of the thing that he's doing, sort of like a la Ross Chastain a couple of years ago. And he's probably looking at that model that Ross had and going, look, I'm good. I believe in myself. The more opportunities that I give myself in good equipment, not elite equipment. Nobody's looking at Nice and saying that that's the championship favorite, right? Nobody's looking at our motorsports like they're a championship favorite, but they are good cars. They are good top 15 
top 20 equipment that's going to give him a, a basically a position like we talk about on the show a lot to make yourself perceived as the best guy, not in a top tier ride. And that's how Moffitt wants to paint himself to potentially get that next opportunity, maybe at the cup level. Yeah. Yeah. And, and next year I'm really excited for the truck series because, you know, we look at GMS is the top team. You think about Chase Purdy's coming in there, Rafael Lassard, you know, who we had on last week, if he gets a full-time deal, that's new, but the rest of their team's the same, you know, Thor sport, I believe is staying the same, all four of those trucks, but you look at these other teams, complete makeovers, you know, we'll get to KBM in a second. Cause some news came out uh, about them yesterday, but uh, nice. I'm, I'm really excited about nice because I look at those drivers and I, those guys are wheelmen. Uh, you know, we talked about Carson Hosevar, uh, who's running for them full time. He's, you know, a great short track guy already. I thought he impressed me pretty well this season when the truck didn't break, uh, Ryan Truex, you know, we know what he can do. He's going to finally, you know, get a full-time opportunity in a truck. Uh, I think he can do well, but obviously Brett Moffitt, we know what he can do. You know, he's, he's a wheel man and he's going to do it. You know, like you said, taking that kind of the Ross Chastain approach, I guess we could call it running uh, the full truck schedule. And then as many, you know, Xfinity series races as he can. I think it's really cool. Yeah. And that's the thing that that's lost to me in this RJ is, is now the news came out also about our motorsports that Santino Ferrucci from the IndyCar world yep. is looking to run up to 20 races in Xfinity. And I was like, well, wait, are they running two cars? And like, yeah. that's not what they said. So, so now Moffitt's splitting that ride in the Xfinity series. And I go, okay, well that is odd because you just announced that you were running full time in it. Are they running two? That's not the impression that I've got because they only have like seven cars total. I've, I've seen them. So yeah. <laughs> that would be weird to try to run two cars so all of this is still moving around a lot, it seems, on the Xfinity side. But Moffitt, obviously, is just going to try to get as many opportunities as he can uh, in this type of equipment. Yeah, I think that'll be really cool. I, I did, you know, was curious about the report that came out with Ferrucci possibly running some races for them. And maybe it could have just been, you know, because I don't think Moffitt initially, when he signed that deal with R, like initially had a full season of sponsorship. You know, I, I can't imagine so maybe, you know, he takes this truck deal, kind of backtracks maybe on his plan, still runs as many Xfinity races as he can. But, you know, if Santino Ferrucci really comes in there and brings, you know, a little money and, you know, Santino Ferrucci, he's, he's raced in a lot of stuff in his career. You never know. Yeah, and we'll see where that program will be at the end of the year. But, but I do see that ride as a rotating seat type of thing. Yeah. So it surprised me that Moffitt claimed it and then wasn't going to run for points. I was like, okay, well, that kind of defeats the purpose of you running the full season there. But he did such a great job. He clearly presented that car so well last year that they're, they're going to get some what I call walk-up money where, where people are interested in getting in that car as kind of the next tier of cars uh, besides those top 12, top 14, potentially, that we talk about. Yeah. And then let's go to, let's go to KBM because usually that team, they kind of have a few guys they toss in and out every year, but man, they, this year is a makeover and we knew Chandler Smith was going to be promoted sometimes. And that's kind of why I was skeptical about Eckes this last few weeks. You know, they hadn't announced anything. Uh, Lassard, you know, finds his new great opportunity at GMS. I'm like, is Eckes going to be the odd man out here if they don't want to do a third truck? And he is uh, Christian Eckes, you know, not going to return to the 18, but Chandler Smith, I mean, 
he's a great uh, young talent. And, yeah, well, you know, Toyota has a lot of great young talent. Uh, we'll see where Eckes goes, but I'm definitely excited about Chandler Smith. And he'll have, you know, John Hunter Nemechek, guy that we talk about a lot on this podcast as his teammate. So definitely a definitely rebranded Kyle Busch Motorsports. Yeah, complete makeover. And Chandler Smith, and, and this goes back to the Toyota camp, and we talked about this, right? We, we, we talked about kind of the Toyota <laughs> tornado uh, when we uh, spoke with uh, who, who had just gone over to GMS uh, yeah. just a few Lassard. weeks ago. Lassard, when we talked to Raphael about this. Uh, it feels like <laughs> Toyota, looking at this from the outside, uh, you got a pretty quick trigger on some of the people that are involved in this program. And now look, from a, from a practical standpoint, this can be sponsorship driven, right? Uh, where sponsorship is required to help float the program. And I understand that. So it, it could, it, it could be a lot more than just Toyota <laughs> not really having a great game plan for developing young talent, because it seems like from the outside, right. For the rest, for the rest of the world, the impression that Toyota gives here is, you know, we really don't have a lot of allegiance to the people that put on a Toyota colors. Um, you're in here and you're the hottest prospect in the world. And then two years later, you're not in the program anymore. Uh, yeah. So that's just kind of a weird impression. Now, do I think Chandler Smith is going to find another ride? Yeah. Chandler Smith is really good and he's probably going to find another ride. It's just, it seems like this weird thing going on at Toyota where there's not either not a lot of loyalty or the people that are part of the program aren't, are looking ahead, like we talked with Raphael about, where, where, and I brought it up to him. How do you feel like your prospects are moving forward in the Toyota system? And he was like, admittedly, not great. <laughs> because there just aren't that many Toyota seats moving up through the ranks. So if you're trying to add the manufacturer allegiance, is Toyota the place you really want to be unless you are the standout 100% can't miss everybody's behind you type of prospect like Christopher Bell was and like Eric Jones was, and we see how that story plays out. And I'm just saying that to the drivers that are these 18, 19, 20 year olds starting their careers and they're looking at somebody like Eric Jones, who was the hottest thing in the in the sport for a little while, and they now see that like, oh, well, they just kind of got rid of him. Well, it doesn't inspire a lot of loyalty to really stick with the brand uh, up through the ranks. So I, I just, with the Chandler Smith news, that's immediately where my mind went. Yeah, and I think uh, a positive to take out of this is, you know, to look at what Lassard did, you know, in the truck series, I feel like in cup, you know, if you're an Eric Jones, he did, he did find an opportunity, but it's a lot harder, you know, up there. I feel like to find a competitive ride, you know, cause it's hard to go from a Joe Gibbs racing ride uh, to something less than that, you know, cause you feel like you're in top equipment to win every single week. But I feel like in the truck series, you know, Lassard, he does go from KBM to, to GMS, you know, the championship winning team, but there, I feel like there are so many teams, so many trucks to where it is competitive to where you can hop in, not anything, but there are a lot of rides where you could possibly just hop in, whether you're funding it yourself or they're already funded and get some good runs together. Now, when I look at Ekis, uh, you know, nothing really 
you know, spikes my mind of where he could go, you know, uh, you know, there's a, a nice fourth truck, you know, I mean, teams can have five trucks, you know, we've seen that if GMS puts Lassard full time, uh, but I don't know, you know, that the seats are running out and, and, you know, it stinks when someone gets cut, you know, in, in December, January, because everything happens earlier now in silly season, it feels like, you know, that was one of the things I noticed when De Benedetto, when it was coming to the end, like, okay, well, if they get rid of De Benedetto, he has nowhere to go. Everything's filled up. So, you know, it, it does stink, you know, if somebody gets cut in December nowadays, it's like almost everything is, is getting filled up. Yeah, and, and, and so that makes me think back to what we looked at earlier when we kind of did our breakdown of what was still available. What are the big rides still available, and what did we say? RCR, right? Yep. And we went RCR Xfinity. And I go, eh, Chandler, does he fit the bill there? Did he have anything to prove in trucks? Does he have to stay in trucks? Or is he one of the guys that could potentially move up? And, and another guy that, that we might as well bring up in the, in the silly season talk right now, Jesse Little, jumping from uh, JD Motorsports over to BJ McLeod Motorsports. Now, I think a lot of people would consider that a pretty lateral move. But I think Jesse looks at that and goes, you know what? Am I ever going to be the man here? Could I be the man at BJ McLeod's team? Potentially so. And I'm and really, when you look at where those teams were trending fairly here at the end of the year, looking at the points, and this is from a guy that was there, JD was trending down. Now, do, are they going to get it figured out? Yeah, they will because they're JD Motorsports. They've been around for a long time. They're going to get it figured out. And BJ McLeod Motorsports was trending up a little bit. They had a top 20 run at Las Vegas. They had a really solid run at Bristol. Or excuse me, not Bristol, but Martinsville. Um, BJ ran a car up into the top 15 there at the end of the year um, at Phoenix uh, in his own car, I think or 16th or something like that. So they were on the uptick. And I think Jesse Little's looking at this when he's making that decision and going, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm kind of going to a spot that might be getting better uh, than, than what I'm currently at. And I think that's what maybe led to this decision. I think Jesse's a good driver and I think he's going to do as good a job as he can given the equipment. And I know BJ McLeod's probably really excited to have him as part of the team. Yeah, I got to do an interview with him a week ago today, right before we had filmed this podcast. And, you know, he's he's a great guy. He's excited. You know, he's a wheel man. He's looking for any opportunity he can get. And he said that he was, you know, very proud of his rookie year just because of everything, all the obstacles, you know, a rookie driver in 2020 had to overcome, you know, not having the practice, not having the, the seat time before races. Um, I remember the probably the, the funniest thing he had mentioned was once when they kicked off at Darlington, that was, he said it was the first time in a race car. He has felt like he does not know what he was doing because yeah. it was just such a treacherous track. Darlington can make you feel that dude. I can tell you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I like this move and I was looking through the, the press release and you know what he was saying and I, I knew it was coming. I was like, I was like, most people just see this as, you know, not a huge move, um, you know, and it's not a huge move. But I looked at the very bottom of what he had said in the press release and says, hopefully, if we can get some additional partnerships, run some cup races for Live Fast Motorsports. And I'm like, there it is. There it is. Okay. There's that connection. How long will BJ be the driver, you know, and this team's looking for a next step in the next year. And, you know, we've talked to Matt Tiff on the show and Jesse Little 
you know, you, you want to look at drivers who, who could be there in the future. He's got, he's got some partners uh, coming over. And um, Jesse also has made cup starts. Yeah. So yeah, I'm sure Jesse's looking at that as a, okay. And that's, that's the same thing that I did when I made the move from BJ's team over to Carl Long's team. Carl had been running the cup car. And at the time I felt like with BJ, I was just always going to be limited schedule where with Carl, he also was running a start and park car. He was doing some other things. There was ways to move the numbers around. I felt like I would always have a ride if I needed one, or if I had a sponsor, but there was also that cup ride above it. And he talked about running two cup cars, which he has done. And I felt like it was a move that was, you know what? A lot of people probably saw it as a very lateral move or maybe even a step down, but I looked at it like speed wise, we've been competitive. And also there's that next step. And I'm sure Jesse, like you talked about with Live Fast Motorsports, sees the exact same tie-in. Like, oh, okay. Now there is a path to the next level for me. Yeah, I think that's really cool. And he's he's got the talent to do it. He showed it. And like you said, he has made, you know, cup starts. He has that cup experience. So I think that'll be really interesting. Um, but you know, as the silly season starts to shake out, you know, we, we kind of come back with the same thing uh, as we were talking about last last uh, week as far as top rides available. And there's our CRX, <laughs> our CRX Finity still kind of still there. And, no, and, you know, Alfredo without, you know, set plans or an announcement at least yet. Myatt Snyder, Ty Dillon. Christian Eckes, all those guys, and there's still those. I can one say that Casbala was at Road America, or not, but at Circuit of the Americas with right. Austin Dillon AD and Tyler Reddick, and, and Tyler Reddick. So that makes me think that at least Gala <laughs> is going to probably still be in that car, yeah. even if it's still just a limited schedule, right? It, it, he's probably at least going to stay in the program in yeah. some fashion. Which I mean, Kaz is extremely talented. Had a lot of love for Kaz. So that's great to see. Again, I'm just, I'm assuming here, like you probably wouldn't be at a winter race with a bunch of RCR mechanics and the RCR drivers if you weren't also going to be in an RCR car uh, for, the, for the next year. So uh, really looking at it here, and I've got this on my phone, right? So this is my, this is my tracker uh, that I'm showing here, uh, where I have kind of kept track of all of those seats that are kind of claimed for next year. Right. So real quick to, to kind of give the list in, in the Xfinity series. Yeah. We know that Junior Motorsports is running Annette, Al Geyer, Gragson, and kind of a rotation car that's going to be made up of Josh Berry, Sam Meyer, and that, and also Dale Jr. Right. So yeah. they are locked up. That's done. Hemrick Jones Burton over at Joe Gibbs. Riley Herbst in the 98, Austin Cindric in the 22. Burton. Haley Almondinger over at Colic with three full time. So they've stepped it up. The one that we don't know yet is that RCR car. What's going on? Is it a rotation car? What is it? Two cars. Is it just one? We we just don't know. Everything else we, we we mostly know when it comes to that next little pack of cars, right? So me and the 44 haven't announced anything yet. We're still working on that, but the plan is for me to be back full time. You had Moffitt, potentially Ferrucci, whatever. Maybe that's going to turn into a split thing. I thought Moffitt had kind of claimed that, but apparently that's still up in the air. Obviously, we know Clements is coming back in the 51, Brandon Brown in the 68. No news yet on the 93. 
We don't know what's going on with that one yet. Myatt Snyder was full-time, basically in that, in that car there towards the tail end of the year. Ran a couple extra races there with RCR that he had already kind of committed to. But what's going on with that car? In the middle of the year, that car got transferred from Ryan Sieg Racing over to Josh Rayum. And so Josh Rayum is the one that's running that car moving forward. That is not a Sieg car anymore. That is a Josh Rayum car. And it might get renumbered uh, according to that. Maybe it will be the 33 like he is in the truck series. I, I don't know. But I know that that car is available, right? Nobody's claimed that yet. We know Sieg is coming back. No word from what I've heard from Joe Graff in the 08 or anybody in the 07. Now, the 07 was a rotation car again last yeah. year. But but I'm pretty sure that Graff is coming back in the 08. I think his initially was a multi, you know, you never know in the Xfinity series. But I think initially it was, at least his sponsor was. I think him and the sponsor that he works with is a multi-year deal. But we'll see. We don't know. Right. Now, we know Josh Williams is coming back in the 92. We know Alex LeBay is coming back in the 36. We know the 90 is going to be that third car that is kind of the rotation car for DGM. And we know that they're bringing a fourth car to Daytona. And I'm telling you, that's because of the money. They're not going to just run four cars full time. Right. So we know that's kind of take Baccarelle is going to run a few races in the 90. We know they're going to kind of get, uh, you know, Donald Feige is going to run a few races, kind of the normal cast of characters in that, in that car. Okay. Well, now we go to BJ McLeod Motorsports. Now, the word on the street was Vinnie Miller was out. So that left the 78 open, and now that is now claimed by Jesse Little. Matt Mills coming back in the five. That is, again, initial me understanding that Matt Mills is coming back in the five car. I thought he had some really good runs at times last year. Yeah. Equipment let him down a lot. Uh, but, but clearly had speed uh, at times. The 99 car is probably going to be that rotation car for them. Does that become a Jesse Awuji full-time type of thing? What, what's going on with that? Like, is that a rotation car? I think teams like to do this. Multi-car teams like to have a couple of seats confirmed and a couple of, and like one car open for that walk-up, one race deal for a road course, one race deal for a speedway to get that extra money coming in, right? Yeah. But the one that really stands out to me because we know that Timmy Hill's coming back and Fincham's coming back with Carl. We, we know that deal. We know 47 is Weatherman and Curry in the 74. We, we know kind of the rest of this. The 52 car, not quite sure. Vander Wallace, he coming back, I don't know. They know they need to step their program up. They probably fell behind a little more than they really wanted to last year. They know they got to take a step forward. And Jimmy Means will do that. Jimmy Means is a racer. Those are smart guys over there. But the one right now that is up in the air to me, and usually at this time, you have an idea of what three-fourths of this is going to be over at JD Motorsports. Yeah. We kind of know by now the normal guys that are going to be in these cars. And right now, we don't know anything. We're assuming that Jeffrey Earnhardt is coming back to the zero car. We're assuming that. Yeah. And, and I believe that is absolutely going to be the case. So there's one. All right, we could project and say that Colby Howard might go full-time in the 15. He ran a decent amount of races this year, thought he did a serviceable job, young, getting experience. Is he ready to go full-time? I'm sure Johnny Davis Motorsports, I'm sure they're really looking as that as like, this would be a full-time guy for us. Okay, well, that's two cars 
open now. So when we look at like the open rides in the midfield, RJ, like we're looking at the 07, the 4, the 6, the 93. Yeah. And that's that's it. Like that's the rides. And you would sit there and go, okay, well, I mean, there is a chance that all of those just become rotating seats, right? Where it's not a full-time thing, a la what we're thinking could happen to the RCR ride. But those were, for the most part, full-time rides last year. So that's going to change the complexity of the driver points and really the, the outlook of the series if those rides just turn into uh, individual race-type deals rather than full-season deals. Yeah. So uh, putting it together, right? Who's on the street and who are the, where are the available rides? And then we, we don't have to be Sherlock Holmes to kind of figure out where the options are. Um. Well, I know, you know, a name that always floats around JD Motorsports is Ryan Vargas. You know, how much TikTok money, TikTok money yeah. uh, can he how get? <laughs> get back in the six? I don't know. I know right. Kobe, Kobe Howard said he did have an announcement, I think, to come like sometime so soon. That, so that that hits it? to me that that could be the 15 full time, yeah. right? So that and I and I've got that penciled in on my sheet here as as that's another full timer. Okay. Well, that still leaves two four cars open as potential full-time rides. Uh, and that's a lot in the middle middle of the field. Usually we see in those kind of get sewed up by now. Yeah, I, I know that that four car, you know, for JD Motorsports is always, you know, at least from an uh, from a fan perspective, they always look at that as the, you know, the car, you know, with, with Landon Castle doing so well in it, Ross Chastain doing so well in it, uh, even Jesse Little, you know, coming in and doing pretty well in that number four car. Uh, you know, we don't know who's going to, is it going to be really someone big, you know, that comes in and takes over or do they turn it into a rotational car? I don't know. You know, they, they did switch up the numbers, you know, last year, I believe Jesse little, you know, ended up running races in the 15. He had BJ yeah, cloud in the that four. That's just Earnhardt, That might be an Earnhardt moves to the four car yeah. as the primary thing, right? It, it, just based on what you're saying. We, we're just not sure. Yeah. There's a lot up in the air there. And that seems like the team to me, RJ, that I'm really circling as, okay, there better be a lot of news in, in December here because you guys got four cars and none of them are claimed as of right now. Now, we're, we're kind of penciling in two of them. But officially, there is nothing announced. And, and that's a lot of rides to have open in the first week of December. Yeah, yeah. And then... And... I'm just looking through that cup list too, as well. You know, not much there, you know, you got the 96, you know, you got the Rick Ware racing cars, you got, um, you know, Timmy Hill probably back in the 66, Ryan Ellis run some races probably in the 32 and, and that's it. You know, there's not much there in cup. There's the mid pack rides in Xfinity. And when you look at trucks, I haven't put that full list together, but you know, we had kind of just overviewed the big teams, you know, and people, truck teams could run five trucks if they wanted to uh but i don't imagine anyone like thor sport uh or you know kbm already showed they're not going out with any more trucks than they have right now so man you know those drivers that are just floating around is that something you know i don't imagine christian eckes has anything totally lined up you know right now i feel like that was a situation where he wanted to be back and unfortunately chandler smith is just a red hot prospect and Toyota's done it so many times before they were just like, Hey, you know, we're going to have to send you out. And 
I think the only one behind Chandler Smith, you could say, is Ty Gibbs uh, is there, which maybe he could run some Xfinity races, but I don't know. Yeah, like like you said, with the list you just went over, there's, yeah, about those three, four Xfinity mid-tier rides. You got basically Rick Ware Racing is just left in the Cup Series. Uh, and the Truck Series, not too much left there either. Right. And the question for these guys that become on the outside looking in, right? So like we talk about um, with him now kind of kind of getting the boot from – KBM is, is that was kind of the impression that everybody was given by that. Um, and he didn't really run from that either. Just saying, uh, okay. Well, if that's the case for somebody that has been in a top tier run, the question that I have is, are you just going period? I will never get in anything other than a car that I think can win the race. I will just not get in anything that is not a top tier, like I call them, a caliber ride. All right. Well, then if that's the case, there's one left in all of NASCAR, and that's the RCR 21 car. Like that's the only one that's not accounted for right now. All the other A-level rides are basically sewn up. So the only thing that's left is those B and C level stuff. And, and Christian Eckes, do you want to do that? Do you want to set yourself up like a Brett Moffitt who looks at that and goes, actually, that's exactly what I want to do. I want to get in a B ride and, and run it up in the top five and make myself look really good here. Now that is a challenge, right? And, and without a doubt, you got to have a lot of swag to want to do that, to sit there and go, look, I've got some choices with sponsorship, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to that one and still kick your ass. <laughs> Like that to me, I respect the heck out of, and I'm obviously, I'm wishing Brett uh, nothing but the best, but for a guy like Chandler, who is still really young, like Brett is a champion. Brett didn't have anything to prove. So just for Christian, he probably feels like he's still got something to prove here. And is he willing to do that, that little bit of a risk there? Or does he just go, eh, I'm going to go run super late models and I'm just going to step back for a year. And I'm going to see what the landscape is next year for these top tier rides. And that's the question that a lot of these guys are going to have. Now we saw what John Hunter Nemechek did, right? He went, I don't want to be in a C caliber ride. I want to be an A caliber ride. I don't care what series it's in. And we saw what Brett Moffat did, leaving an A caliber ride to get into kind of B caliber rides. Okay. That, that is an interesting way of looking at this. And it's everybody's got a different philosophy on this, RJ. And that's what's so fascinating to me is this is constantly shifting around during this month. We've talked about it so much. And where are all the dominoes going to fall? Yeah. And, and I think, you know, when we talk about where someone like Christian Eckes could go, you know, it's also about what options he has, you know, and, and where he's able to go. Does he feel like, you know, just a scenario – does he feel like if he could go uh, and run, you know, 12 races for Nice Motorsports, is that something he wants to do? You know, if he wants to run for JD Motorsports, is that something he wants to do just hypothetically? Uh, you don't know. And it's, a, it's about the driver, where they want to go. And I felt like Christian Eckes was a guy who was just, just so close this year. I felt like in a lot of races, he came, came up just short, you know, lost on the final two laps to, you know, Kyle Busch, which is Kyle Busch got passed by Matt Kraft at Kansas, Kansas with about three to go, lost that one. 
He's lost a few races this year and he's come so close to that win. You know, this is he Rafael Lassard, you know, with Rafael Lassard wants to go back out there and he knows he can win in a GMS truck. Um, is, is that the same mentality Christian Eckes has and what are his opportunities? We do not right. it is, and are things different for Christian Eckes if he did win a race? Yeah. Right. Like Lassard won a race. Things were different for him. So do, do things change for Christian Eckes if he did win a race? Like, I don't, I don't know that they necessarily would have RJ, but we clearly, he's a kid that has shown he has the capability to win in a race winning truck. And like, that's all you can really ask. And here's somebody that's really young, a snowball derby winner. What else are we really looking for out of a prospect here that Christian Eckes hasn't given us and yet he's the one without a ride. So that is the fascinating part of this to me. It's like, okay, what does a guy got to do to get some job security in this thing outside of have that funding guaranteed from yourself? Let's talk about a snowball derby winner without a ride. <laughs> Tom Majeski, uh, just recently, this weekend, he wins the snowball derby and immediately, you know, everyone's um, – the, the go-to, obviously, you know, congratulations to Tom Jeske, but everyone on Twitter immediately, oh my goodness, why did this guy, you know, not have a ride? Why did this guy get kicked out of this place? You know, um, I don't know where he finds himself because, you know, we could put the name Tom Jeske into this kind of pool of drivers who could be looking for mid-tier rides. You know, he was at Nice uh, last year, right. either, you know, just ran out of sponsorship and then Trevor Bain and all these, you know, big names start flowing in. Uh, I don't know where, where time and Jessica would end up. And I think it's all about, you know, sponsorship dollars for him for sure. Uh, but if he wants to go to one of these mid tier rides, you know, one of those rides that are open in the Xfinity series, maybe he does. I think Ty would be a terrific fit at a place like JD Motorsports. I, I really do. Uh, Ty is a racer. And JD Motorsports is a company full of racers. I think he would be a perfect fit for that. Yeah. Is that something he wants to do, right? Or does he just go, you know what? Eh, no offense, but I don't want to get in something that I consider a 20th place car. Like, that's just not what I really want to do. The thing is, what, is, what does Ty have to prove, right? Not a lot to me. Maybe he feels like in NASCAR, he still has to prove something. I don't know. Not really to me. I mean, when he was on that Roush Fenway car, that was kind of the, the hot prospect car was Cindric and Briscoe and him. So Ford clearly looked at him on the same level with those two. And we've seen what they've been able to do. I don't really see Ty as any different than that now. I mean, I still consider him a unbelievable prospect. And when he's able to go do this at the Snowball Derby, and let's remember – that last year <laughs> at the Snowball Derby, he was clearly a front runner he in that won. race, right? Yeah. Had it won, basically. So could be looking at a back-to-back -back type of situation here with Majeski. Went down there and, and got it again this year, and, and good for him. We're, 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 I'm pumped for him. Um, he has been – he's won so many late model races and dedicated so much time to that type of racing. To win the pinnacle of that is essentially like – the Christopher Bell, the Kyle Larson winning the, the Chili Bowl type yeah. of thing. Like it, it's the same type of meaning. So it's to somebody that really has dedicated themselves to the craft of late model short track racing. And so that's cool. But now on the NASCAR front, 
what does this guy have to prove to be a top prospect? Like Meese is not a top truck anymore. It's just not. So what are we expecting him to do at it that would make you go, oh man, Tom Ajeski? Like, ah, I, I, don't, I think you're kind of asking for too much there. I think Ty is what he is, which is a really good driver. He's just got to be given a platform, just yeah. like a lot of guys. Uh, and if we're going to keep putting Ty in a position where he's not going to be able to succeed, does he want to keep going back to that? Or does he just go, you know what? I kind of like winning all these races in late models. I'm just going to stick to that. Yeah, I think the thing for Ty Majeski is, you know, you look at the situations he's been in, and it's not a ton. You know, he he was at Roush, you know, with Cindric, with Briscoe. Uh, and I believe both Cindric and Briscoe got a handful more races than he did. But I, I believe that was also the year that that team was shutting down, you know, on their downfall. Yeah. And it's not that Cindric and Briscoe were amazing in the 60s. They were not either. lighting it up either. Yeah. And he goes to Nice and I felt like they had, I don't, you know, we don't know what expectations they had for him, but obviously Ross Chastain was, you know, in a better truck, but he was also more experienced um, and made it to the championship four. You bring in time Majeski. Different situation though. Yeah. Just saying here, different situation. The first year with that equipment and the turnover that happened at Nice. And there was a mm -hmm. lot of stuff that happened there behind the scenes. And it's just a different yeah. program now. Yeah, it's the just equipment. a different program. Yeah, and that's what I was, you know, noting on or about to note on at least is their expectations. You know, did they, you know, they knew what equipment that they had before and everything that had happened and what they have now. Uh, did they have, you know, superior expectation? You know, were they expecting Ty Majeski to go to the Final Four like Ross Chastain? I can't imagine they were. I wasn't. I know a lot of people weren't. You know, even the people that, you know, you know, weren't knowing what was happening, you know, behind the scenes with the team, they weren't expecting time and Jesse to come in there and just, you know, grind it out, you know, like Ross Chastain does, who has a lot more experience in those type of trucks and cars than time and Jesse. So I think, you know, and, and time and Jesse is a racer, you give him the right opportunity. And I think like you said, J you know, Johnny Davis, JD motorsports, you know, they love having those racers on the team. They've had Ross Chastain, uh, BJ McLeod and Jeffrey Earnhardt, Jesse. Little. Mm -hmm. Landon Castle, big name. Um, and I think that 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 is that could be a ride for him. I would love to see time and just get JD Motorsports. Will it happen? We don't know. But I would love to see. it. Yeah, it feels like a great fit to me. And Johnny is one of those guys, one of the rare owners that is in a situation where at times he is able to pick the person that he wants in a car with no money down, no, no expectation of sponsorship. And I would love to see that phone call. If, if, if it's me, if I'm Johnny, if I'm role playing as Johnny Davis here, that is absolutely a guy to me that fits the program um, and, and fits the kind of the mentality of the team. I feel like Ty would be a great fit there. Yeah. And you, you mentioned a name and I want to talk about him just real quick before we wrapped up. Uh, you know, there's not really anything, you know, for him right now. He's with Morgan Shepard, but Lynn Castle, I mean, Talk about him so much of being a wheel man. And even when he drove for Starcom, which is the last time that we really saw him in a cup ride, he did pretty solid in that car, um, you know, with the newer team and what he did at Johnny Davis Motorsports. You know, you just sit there like, man, what if, you know, Landon Castle was in a decent ride right now, at least? Yeah, when, when I go down the list of the free agents here, 
uh, Landon to me is the name uh, on top of the list. It, it has been for a while. Uh, you're talking to a guy here that has just a ton of respect for him and uh, has had to race against him and has seen how talented the guy is uh, multiple times. So uh, really good racer, great with sponsors, great with activation, great on social media, funny, experienced. I mean, what? how many boxes does a guy have to check to get a ride nowadays? Uh, except that sponsorship box, right? Where you got to be able to come with your own funding. And, and that's the problem. And what Landon is now fighting is something that we all know, which is when you're out of this, when you separate for a year, it is that much harder to get back in. Yeah. And to me, I can say that if anything ever happened to Tommy Joe Martins, where I couldn't perform the duties of the driver of the 44 car. The first phone call that I am making is to Landon Castle to fill in for me. Now, the problem is he probably made me look pretty bad in my own car, but I know that he would do a terrific job. Uh, and that would be the first guy on the list. So, I mean, sure. Johnny formerly with a relationship to Landon. Is that a spot? If those cars are open and he's looking for people to fill in that would probably be one of the guys he would call outside of BJ McLeod to fill in one of those open spots. Yeah. I would love to see that again. I feel like that would be an awesome thing too, to promote Landon castle back in the four uh, JD motorsport, even if it's just for a few races, I think that would be really cool uh, to see, you know, and he, and, and their goal, you know, with him and Morgan Shepard is to bring that 89 car back at some point um, and run some races, which is really cool. Um, and I know some races will have qualifying. That's the thing that they wanted and definitely Landon castle, you know, reunion with, with JD motorsports. Maybe that's something we, something we could market for. Maybe so. And I would love to see it because Landon is so talented and such a good racer and such a good guy for the series and the way he promotes himself and the way he handles himself, uh, just all around great. And, and like, that's the, see, that's where my heart breaks on this star J because I look at those type of people yeah. and I go, man, those are people that are great for the sport. And then they're not able to be in it. Yeah. And, and boy, we're really handcuffing ourselves when these type of guys like Ty Majeski, like a Rico Abreu, like a, a, a Landon Castle, when these guys that are clearly talented have their own fan base, have a lot of respect in the garage area wins from other series, winners, everything they've ever done. And then we can't keep them in a stock car, you know, and, and allow me, but that's just the business that we're in. Right. And, and I could of course pick a name out of a hat. Obviously the guy uh, that, that wound up catching a lot of the flack for this uh, is still in the double zero for Starcom, right? We're, we're now, I mean, that was the whole, Oh God, the, the sky is falling. And it's like, you know what? This is the business that we're in. Y'all, we all understand it. We all want the best people to be out there. And that's why I have been so vocal for so many years that if we make ownership of these teams a more break-even proposition, then it creates a situation where me as an owner, if it's ready, if it's my time to step away as the driver and we don't have a sponsor sold, I go, you know what? I'm calling the best available person. I'm going to put them in my car. And that's how these guys are going to get those opportunities. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. And and I just want to wrap up here with a few stories or from this week. Um, so about this weekend, uh, I was out this weekend, but I was trying to follow along on Twitter because I know you had your deal uh, at Circuit of <laughs> Americas with, with um, I believe you had Josh Balicki and Garrett Smithley with you as well. Um, yes. And it apparently, unfortunately, because because I saw you'd post you'd posted the stream link, the in car, and I was like, okay, oh, you know, give me a little bit. I'm gonna finish up with what I'm doing here, and I'm gonna tune in, and then I come back to Twitter, and. Was yeah, it really we, we lasted all about we lasted all about ten corners uh, <laughs> in that deal. It was not not great. Uh, ripped the drive shaft in half. It damaged a lot of the other underneath uh, of the car. So not not great. And really, I feel bad for my friend here, Cole Lofscard, who put this whole deal together. Yeah. He's an instructor out at Spring Mountain with me. It's his car. He's worked on it. He's done the whole thing. He drove it himself twenty hours over to Circuit of the Americas. Uh, and obviously, we had a mechanical problem in practice. Had to yeah. fix that, thrash all night to get it fixed. And you go out there and it rips in half and it's <laughs> the whole thing. So I feel worse for him. For me, yeah. it was just, <laughs> you, know, you throw your hands up in the air. Same thing with Garrett and, and uh, for Josh, who were doing it to get seat time at Coda yeah. for our upcoming race next year, which I've, I've been lucky. I, I ran there last year in Cole's car at Coda. So I'd already seen the track. So for me, it was more of a fun thing. Yeah, there was no fun to be had in that deal <laughs> this <laughs> this weekend. But but Josh and Garrett were able to go and drive for other teams. So I was yeah. I was glad to see that on the Sunday eight hour endurance race that they did. So it was cool. It's a neat deal down there in Coda. It's it's weird. Yeah. The snowball derby's going on, and meanwhile, you have what I think is the biggest amateur endurance race in the country going on at Circuit of the Americas, and a really cool event put on by a really cool series in the WRL. It's got a lot of semi-pro stuff. I mean, obviously, we talked about uh, Ty Dillon and and uh, or not Ty Dillon, but Austin Dillon was there with with Kaz and with uh, Tyler Reddick. I saw him in the pits. Pippa Mann was there in a car, uh, Indy 500 racer. Uh, I mean, a lot of a lot of pe- different people. I think David Starr was there in a car. I didn't see him, but he was there. You had Jade Buford who raced in the Xfinity series this past year, sports car racer. He was there. So you had a lot of like driving talent in, in this deal over the course of a bunch of classes. It's really a cool event. It's really beat. Uh, and I'd like to do it again next year. Yeah, it was, it was an up and down um, week, I guess you had, you had it was that. Down. It was a down week, RJ. It was <laughs> a down week. Well, you, you had your birthday yesterday. I did have a birthday. birthday. Yesterday, yes. You turned uh, 34. I saw something on Twitter. It kind of made me laugh a little bit. Somebody had tweeted at you and said, said happy 34th birthday. You're 10 away from your Xfinity series number. <laughs> yeah. It's a tough, tough look for your guy over here. Getting older by the day, RJ. We all are. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I, I thought that was really cool. Definitely. The, uh, the circuit America's event seemed there was a lot of car. I think I saw like a, a sky shot of, of the place, all the cars on the grid. There was a lot of cars there and that 90, seemed like a real over cool deal. 90 cars over the, wow. uh, with all the, all the classes. So like I said, and all different types of cars, uh, really, really a cool event. Uh, and, and one that was a ton of fun for me and, and I know the next step of my driving career when it's not in a NASCAR stock car, is going to be endurance road racing because I love it. Yeah. I had a ton of fun with it. And that's something that I look forward to doing more of in the future. Yeah. And before we go off here, I do have to give a, a big shout out to 
of DGM racing as a whole, but Cesar Baccarella, I talked to him last week, uh, you know, did an interview. We talked for a while about Daytona and he gave a lot of interesting insight, you know, on the team and how hard they work. But uh, he was the guy, you know, that gave me the fitting that we just had Jamie Little here about reporting and everything. Uh, you know, you, you see rumors and you post them, you know, all the time when other people post them when Adam Stern, but you know, when I had this phone call with, with Cesar Baccarella, he had, he had told me, you know, he was, he texted me and he was like, I got some spicy news for you. If you want, if you want to call me up, uh, we had set that all together. And he had told me about Mario Gosselin being in the car for, for Daytona. And he told me, he told me, Hey, we haven't, you know, set out, you know, anything official yet. And he said, I want, I'm going to give you the go, send it out. So I got to, you know, send out my first, you know, exclusive to me press release, you know, from, <laughs> from, from, from RJ Starsvik from NASCAR report. It was, it was awesome, you know, doing it. And then, you, you know, there's people, I got some Twitter people messaging me about it. You know, some, you know, Toby Christie, uh, was, was talking to me about it. It was really cool. So I definitely a big shout out to him. I thought that was awesome. He gave me to go to do it. And, uh, just, just another, uh, step cha- chapter in the book. Get, get, there you go, out. RJ breaking news, awesome. man. You're, you're one step closer to, to, to Bob level. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of steps to get there. And, and Bob is, Bob is awesome. You know, I, I saw him down in Homestead last year in the garage area, got to go in. It was like 11 o'clock at night. They're finishing up Kyle Busch's car through tech. And I look over in the corner. I see a man with a blue jacket in the distance by, you know, by himself on his phone. I was like, that's gotta be Bob Pockers. It's gotta be. There's only, there's <laughs> only it. one man. He, he doesn't stop. He's always, he always, always tweeting, you know, and it's Never awesome stopped. what he does. He is, he is a workhorse and hopefully he can get, you know, I think he was at, phoenix for championship weekend but hopefully you can be, get back to the track soon i know they're doing a next gen test here at daytona i live about three and a half hours three hours from the track i'm actually going to try and go down there and, and and check it out here's some stuff i know they're doing a bunch of single car runs so i might go down and spend the day in daytona on the 15th and 16th cool. some next gen action you're, you're, hey you're gonna have you're gonna have another scoop right there <laughs> I'm gonna try my best, but yeah, it's been it's been a fun week, uh, a lot a lot of racing this weekend, but that's cool. Uh, as we jump into the holiday season here, um, and and we'll jump into episode number seven next week. So it's been a great episode. Glad to have Jamie Little here here, and glad uh, all the stories that we we're able to talk about. And that's been episode number six of the Drivers Meeting. If you've made it this far, we'd like to thank you for listening to the Drivers Meeting podcast. We appreciate all the support. And if you liked it, make sure to subscribe, follow, and stay tuned for upcoming episodes. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.